And unfortunately, we're starting this week with an Amber Alert. Lansing police have issued an Amber Alert for an endangered missing child. Her name's Winter Cole Smith. Described as a two-year-old black female with braided shoulder-length hair. Uh, She was last seen wearing a white T-shirt with rainbows. The missing child may be with uh, Rashad Malik Trice, a black male, 28 years old, traveling in a white 2013 Chevy Impala. The license plate number is DZS0492. Um, Last seen traveling in an unknown direction, and and there are ties to Detroit. Uh, If you see a Chevy Impala, even if you can't remember the license plate number, Call Lansing Police, 517-483-4600, or if you can't uh, remember that, 911 will suffice. So um, we'll continue to update that throughout the morning. Uh, Weather-wise, the good news is that uh, that's fog out there. That is not Canadian wildfire smoke that uh, the jet stream seems to have changed. And uh, taking a look at the AQI uh, in Detroit... It's uh, at the lower end of moderate, but in outlying areas, the air quality is good. So as long as you're not one of these sensitive groups, uh, breathe up. Enjoy that oxygen. Uh, congratulations to Ricky Fowler. I was uh, last last week. I was I, I didn't want to put this out into the universe, but I was a little bit worried about how that Canadian wildfire smoke might affect the Rocket Mortgage Classic. Uh, it doesn't appear to have done so. Uh, Ricky Fowler won it uh, on a thriller. Uh, He overcame some adversity yesterday. Uh, He had to make a long birdie on 18 to force the three-way playoff against Colin Morikawa and Adam Hadwind. Um, And then on the playoff, the playoff hole, uh, he didn't get a great drive off and he had to make a long birdie uh, to win it. But, um, this this was nothing new for Ricky Fowler. R- Ricky Fowler has been overcoming adversity all tournaments, starting with Thursday, where he got off to a hot start, and then the last five holes he kind of uh, uh, he, he kind of fell off. And uh, here's a little refresher. I mean, to be perfectly honest, I had to go to the bathroom pretty badly. So luckily, I was I just got drug tested, so I went straight in. Um, there, there weren't many bathrooms the last five holes, so. I was a little shaky coming in, and, and not to not to necessarily blame the finish on that, but it, it didn't help. So there you go. Celebrities, they're just like us. Um, obviously, there were two huge Supreme Court decisions uh, coming down on Friday. I'm wondering, um, c- can I just get my, d- my uh, college degree uh, repoed and then we call it even? It's not really, a, you know, it's not really working the way it's supposed to. Uh, it, it's funny. I, I came up. In the 90s, and the the attitude back then was college was was the only way to a good life, and uh, skilled tradesmen like plumbers and, and mechanics were uh, portrayed as 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 thick skulled meatheads. When in reality, um, they <laughs> you have to be very smart to 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 know a skilled trade. Um, as they were learning, they were making a decent living. Once they were done training for that job, they have no debt and uh, they have a six figure skill. So good for you, for the people who weren't duped by the uh, sitcom propaganda in the 90s. And of course, uh, Joe Biden, he announced on Friday um, a bunch of um, 
plan B's, I guess, for student loan forgiveness since the Supreme Court struck down his plan six to three. Um, He is uh, going to try to give relief to as many student loan borrowers under a brand new law. He tried to um, forgive student loans currently under the HEROES Act, which was a remnant of COVID. That was struck down. He's going to try with the 1965 Education Act, which uh, we didn't get too many specifics. Uh, It was kind of vague, and he said that this was going to take a long time. Uh, He's going to make tweaks to the income-driven repayment program. Currently, um, that program is capped at 10% of your disposable income. It'll go down to 5%. And there's another program that's that uh, says that if you pay on time for 20 to 25 years, your debts will be discharged. Um, they're working on getting that down to 10 years and uh, student loan payments. They're they're due again in October, but there will be an on ramp process that allows borrowers to pay what they can for 12 months without being sent to collections or damaging their credit. Um, you know, I'm I'm one of these people who would have benefited from this student loan relief. In fact, uh, the applications went out. I applied. I was uh, approved. And I think that uh, there's this misnomer out there that everybody who who applied for student loan forgiveness um, is 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 getting a free ride, and they're not going to pay back the money that they borrowed. You know, me, myself, and I think that this that there's a lot more of uh, of us out there than people realize. We paid our student loans off. Uh, we paid the amount back that we borrowed. But with interest, um, it, it's barely made a dent. So I think that uh, those are the people that uh, student loan forgiveness can really help. Um Candidly, I've been paying my student loans off since 2008 before the uh, uh, before the freeze. And I've got about 12,000 left. So that with that 10,000 forgiveness, I would have paid two thousand dollars on my remaining balance. And that would have put me over the top. I would have paid back my student loans and then some. So we'll see what happens. Um, You know, I I, I like the the repayment plans and and we'll see how they go. the other big decision that came down on Friday um, was that the uh, Supreme Court ruled in favor of a web designer who refuses to make websites for gay uh, gay couples and same-sex weddings by, you guessed it, six to three. Now, the conservative justices ruled that the First Amendment's free speech protection permitted Lori Smith from Colorado to refuse her services to same-sex couples. And this is a very odd. Um, this is a, a very odd case. Uh, number one, Miss um, Smith, she filed a lawsuit preemptively before she even started making websites because she was so against gay marriage. And there is a man listed in the court papers named Stewart, and Stewart came out over the weekend and said that he never approached her. Um, to make a, a website for his wedding. In fact, he's straight and he's been married to a woman for a decade and a half. And uh, look, I, I can't speak to the legalities of the uh, decision. I'm not a judge. I'm not a lawyer. I am a consumer, though. And 
you know, I have to wonder out loud how consistent Lori Smith is when it comes to doing business or not doing business with people based on her beliefs. She won't work with same-sex couples because of her religious beliefs. Does that does that extend to people who are on their second or third marriages who have been divorced? That's against uh, that's against her faith. Um, she refused to work with couples who have consummated the marriage marriage before their wedding vows. That's against the faith. And does she refuse to work with couples uh, where where both people in the relationship aren't necessarily members of her same faith? And I don't know. Hopefully, if she refuses to work with one group of people because of her faith, she refuses to work with another group of people because of her faith. It's first thing with Mike Parsons on WJR. Michigan State University is conducting a groundbreaking study of the long-term effects of certain cancer treatments. Professor Ellis Sikorsky on JR Afternoon with Chris Renwick. We got the tape? No? Uh, yes, let, let's try this again. Uh, Ellis Sikorsky on JR Afternoon with Chris Renwick. See if my button works here. At MSU. They are looking at a a different type of research, and this involves taking oral medication as a substitute to spending hours and hours undergoing infusions, but there could be trade-offs to that. So Michigan State has gotten grant money to study the side effects of this medication. Professor Alice Sikorsky is uh, with the MSU College of Osteopathic Medicine's Department of Psychiatry, and she joins us this afternoon on JR Afternoon. Uh, Professor, good to have you with us. Uh, Talk to me a little bit about exactly what you're looking at in terms of these uh, oral medications that you're looking at in, in terms of cancer treatment. These oral medications are used to treat cancer. However, as all medications, both infusions and oral, when they want to kill something like cancer, they produce multiple side effects. So what we're looking at is uh, helping people manage pain, fatigue, skin rashes, mouth sores, diarrhea, constipation, all sorts of side effects, all sorts of symptoms that are associated with cancer treatments because the ultimate goal is to beat cancer. However, that battle could take months and years and how people feel during that time is very very important so talk to me specifically about this type of medication is this a substitute for for uh uh cancer treatments while you're 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 battling cancer um is this a a a type of preventative Uh, talk to me specifically about this medication it's it's different it's 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 a number of different medications there are over 50 oral anti-cancer medications that are currently available and approved by FDA. So they are just like infusion treatments, like traditional uh, intravenous chemotherapy, for example, except it could come in oral form. So instead mm-hmm. of having an infusion and coming to, uh, to the infusion center, let's say, several times a week, uh, people take uh, medication at home orally. Uh, there are so also you... other classes of medications like targeted agents, which are not necessarily like chemotherapy, but they help beat cancer in other ways. So you uh, and, and some of your colleagues uh, at the University of Arizona, uh, uh, University of Miami, um, you've gotten some grant money from the uh, the NIH, the National Institute 
of health. And as I understand it, this money is going to be uh, doled out over a five-year plan. And this is to monitor and, and, and continue to research cancer survivors in, in terms of their symptoms that come from this medication. So, uh, so you're talking about, again, watching for the reactions to some of these medications. But uh, what will you be looking for specifically? And then how does this work when you, you're working with different uh, 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 universities and research, uh, researchers from, from around the country? How do you collaborate on this? Oh, this, uh, I, I'm very fortunate to have collaborators all around the country. And this particular study will actually enroll patients from what is called community oncology settings. Uh, the NCI has a, a national community oncology uh, research program, and so these are community settings. So these are smaller clinics all over the country, and we are going to enroll 12 of them to participate in the study. And um, people, I call them cancer survivors because cancer survivorship begins at the time of diagnosis. So mm. they are still undergoing treatment. They, are, they, they have not beaten cancer yet. They are going through treatment, and they are experiencing these side effects. And we have developed um, tools for them to help manage fatigue, for example to help manage sleep problems, to help manage, to, to manage depression and anxiety that often come uh, during uh, uh, treatment. And so we're going to test um, not just that this, these, these strategies, these tools work, but how they work in the community oncology settings. So we're going to monitor these symptoms every week so pe people will get called and they will rate their symptoms, and we will provide this summary of symptoms to their healthcare provider. And uh, we will see how this works in the clinical workflow, how to best um, integrate it into the busy lives of doctors and nurses at the oncology clinic. So is this just is this almost viewed as just another tool in the tool belt in in the medical profession's fight against cancer? Because it, it seems that the more the, the bigger arsenal you've got, um, uh, hopefully we, we do away with these uh, just uh, horrific diseases. So this is this is the tool to for people to do something themselves about symptoms, because very few things could be done by medical professionals. There's no medication that could help somebody manage fatigue, and fatigue is, is very debilitating symptoms that people experience. So what can they do? Well, we give them the toolkit. It's, it's a printed, printed guide, which basically has strategies. Um, they explain to people what the symptom is, what to do about it, what not to do about it, when they have to contact the healthcare provider, when they cannot self-manage it. They cannot just do something at home to help mm -hmm. um, relieve this. So that they know, okay, this is I can do, this is I cannot do, and if this happens, if this is very severe or persists for a certain number of days, I have to call my doctor. And some of the strategies might might be might be obvious, but some of them not. For example, I'll give you one example. So we we know about many of these cancer treatments are associated with nausea and vomiting and poor appetite. Mm -hmm. um, so one thing is to do, one strategy is not to take your favorite foods just before you take the medication or just before you go for an infusion, for example. Mm -hmm. It's because your body will learn to associate your favorite food with uh, the side effect, and then you would not want to eat even your favorite food. <laughs> and you don't want to uh, uh, eat all those vegetables with your, uh, with your medication <laughs> either. You want to make sure you're eating those as well. Uh, pr professor, yes. th there, is, there is a psychological aspect 
to the, uh, this as well. Um, the type of anxiety and depression that could come with this that could cloud the symptoms. Um, talk to me about that part of the study as well. Yeah, so depression and anxiety are not super common among people with cancer, but they happen just like they happen to other people. And in the context of experiencing these side effects, uh, depression does several things. One, it interferes with how you process information. Okay, what's going on? What, what's happening? Uh, why am I feeling so not, not so well? And then second, if I tell you to, let's say, if, if you have fatigue, you might want to have some moderate exercise, like not anything crazy, but take a walk around the block. But depression does, in this context, it... it, it reduces motivation to do things. It's like, ah, no, nah, I'm not going to do it. Mm-hmm. So depression by itself is, is, is not a good thing to go through, but it also interferes with what people can do about these other symptoms like fatigue and pain and other things. So it's very, very important to manage these things and um, depression and anxiety. And uh, there are strategies, just like I gave you an example with the appetite. There are things that people can do about their depression and anxiety. However, Sometimes what they can do on their own is not sufficient. So when that is not sufficient, we add another uh, support uh, to them. Uh, we have interpersonal counseling, which will, which will be delivered by behavioral health professionals from the clinics to help uh, with uh, more severe depression and anxiety. That was MSU professor Alice Sikorsky talking to Chris Renwick about a study they're doing about the long-term health effects of certain Uh, anti-cancer treatments we still have that amber alert out there for two-year-old winter cole smith a two-year-old black female with braided shoulder length hair wearing a white t-shirt with rainbows um she was she may be with rashad malik trice a 28 year old black male driving a white 2013 chevy impala license plate number dzs0492 uh, call 911 if you think you see them. State Department released a redacted report on Friday accusing both the Trump and Biden administration of poor planning, which ultimately led to the disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan, citing insufficient senior level consideration of worst case scenarios and how quickly those might fo- follow. No duh. Well, since the launch of consumer artificial intelligent products such as ChatGPT, pioneers of the technology have been ringing the alarms about the possible dangers and even asking for regulations on their own industry. But does it have the potential to destroy humanity? That's a pleasant thought heading into the 4th of July holiday. AI expert and tech executive Paul Powers on All Talk with Tom Jordan. I don't know. I mean, so the more we use artificial intelligence, the more warnings we seem to be getting from the very top experts in the field, guys like Elon Musk and Sam Altman, those types. They're like, hey, hey, we got to watch out here. This thing might get out of hand. Why are they so concerned? Well, I've actually talked to Elon Musk before about this. Uh, oh. We have a bit of a different opinion on it. <laughs> so uh, not about the concern. The concern's valid. Uh, AI is very powerful. I mean, we use it here at our company, uh, but we use it for, you know, I like to think we use it for good to help the uh, companies, uh, you know, with, in the manufacturing industry. But there is the potential in the long term to use that um, for, for AI to become, you know, as you pointed out, uh, sentient, to become self-aware and to essentially disregard any uh, human values or um uh, or, or the, even the original intent of the programming. That being said, it's it's not that difficult to prevent that if you're you know 
even mildly responsible. The concerns are really around bad, uh, bad actors and people who are extremely negligent and uh, using AI. So there's a, where we differ in opinion isn't so much what the risk is, it's more what do you do about it? Right? So AI is already here, the genie's out of the bottle. And calls for things like, you know, taking a six-month pause from developing AI or regulating, um, over-regulating AI, I should say. The concern there is that the people who would actually listen to that and adhere to those uh, those suggestions or those regulations, those are the good guys. Those are the companies that are you know, want to stay in the good side of the law. And people who want to stay on the right side of the law are foreign adversaries, uh terrorists, bad actors, uh, even just really negligent tinkerers with AI, they might not listen to those laws. And the thing with AI is that, you know, because it's based on machine learning, it, it works in exponentials. So it's, the AI has been around for a long time. The reason that we're all just hearing about it now and it's become a big topic is because it seems like it just came out. Like it was just like AI came out of nowhere, but that's not true. It's been developing um, at, at a slow rate, but then recently, because of, you know the way exponentials work, it, it doubles and doubles and doubles at an ever faster rate. Now it's here, and it's only going to grow faster. Regulation can't keep up with it. So instead of saying, okay, hey, let's try to stop people from developing AI, because they won't, or at least the bad guys won't, let's try to develop AI tools that will combat those negative effects. For instance, if uh, you know, I, I was on another call earlier, and someone asked, uh, how do we even know that it's really you? Because there's so many AI tools out there that can replicate your voice, right? And that's true. Well, you, you can't regulate yourself out of that problem. But what you can do is you can say, okay, uh, similar to how you approach cybersecurity, I'm going to use technology to combat technology. So if I want to make sure that somebody's real, maybe I try to invest in an AI program that can identify that the voice is AI generated versus an actual human voice, for instance. Those are, that, that's more the approach that I think that we should be taking. So the panic around it only sets us back. Yeah, and as you said, I think this was a very important point that AI has been with us for a very long time, and you can go back to, you know, when computers were developed, and probably before that, that we've been using it. In, I mean, search engines, that's essentially artificial intelligence, helping us to navigate the Internet. But when you look at how it has grown so exponentially, as you just touched on, um, there there are some ethical questions that we have to kind of wrestle with, right? I mean, there are these dilemmas that arise with the development of artificial intelligence. And I think those ethical dilemmas really fall into the hands of those who are in control of artificial intelligence. And as you said, that's where maybe the real threat comes in, whether it's just some a bad actors like a terrorist or someone who's just greedy and wants to get ahead of the game and ahead of the AI race by doing something that might be just a little bit off, which could have maybe some unforeseen consequences. Absolutely. It's a very real risk. And if AI is a force multiplier, so they think of it similar to, I hate to use just this analogy because it's, it's, AI can be used for a lot of good. There's a lot of very positive things AI can do for us, uh, whether that's in healthcare, manufacturing, uh, education, or otherwise. But you know, it is a force multiplier. So if you're a, an actor for good, it will multiply that uh, that good effort. It will do. You'll be able to be much more productive. And if you're an actor for bad, it will do the same. So the w- the way to think of it is almost like nuclear proliferation, right? So nuclear energy, you can debate whether, uh, you know, what the depending it doesn't matter what you where you stand on it politically. Nuclear energy, as I would say, is not as bad as a nuclear bomb, right? So um, you, it can be used for good or for evil. And certainly, you don't want your adversaries to have it and you not have it. So that's the concern is that if, if with AI, unlike nuclear, it actually is going to move, but AI will develop faster. And there's no such thing as a small advantage. So if you have, let's say for an adversary, let's just say North Korea, and uh, not that I'm thinking of the latest in AI is coming from them, but mm-hmm. as an example, <laughs> if they were to uh, 
you know, if they were to go down the, the AI path and we were to take a, a, like an actual six month break, and then we were try to uh, were to try to play catch up later, we very well might not be able to, right? And that's that's the real concern that I have is that we might regulate ourselves into um, into the, the thing that we're trying to prevent, which is something like a you know Skynet type or, or Terminator type world where AI is run amok. Uh, it's easily preventable, but the solution is actually through AI, ironically enough. Oh, yeah, that's strange. And I, I agree with you. I don't think we should. It, when I first came out, I don't know, a few months ago, that we should take maybe a six-month pause and figure this out, I initially agreed with it, but I didn't think deeply enough about that issue at that point. When I did, I realized, no, that would be a huge mistake, as you just touched on. This is a global race, and we've, we're dealing with some very, very nefarious uh, actors out there, like you mentioned, North Korea, there's China, there's others that would love to be that far. If you give them a six month head start, they're going to advance well beyond where we are right now. So the, the replication aspect of this is one thing that would concern me. If AI is able to figure out a way to replicate itself beyond the control of humanity, is that a real threat? And is, how would we prevent that from occurring? I wouldn't say that that's currently a real threat. There's, there's this progression of AI. You go from, uh, and not to get too nerdy about it, but we're currently in the age of what we would call artificial narrow intelligence. You know, So the AI that we use is really good for uh, 3D design and manufacturing, but then the, that's not the same as what other companies will use. It's really good at uh, healthcare type applications uh, or at uh, replicating certain language models. The next phase that we're getting closer to is artificial general intelligence, and that's where essentially you know one AI tool can do just about everything very very well. The final phase is artificial super intelligence, which is still a little ways off, but not maybe as far as some people think. And that's where AI is just so far advanced, so so much more capable than uh, humans in, in most domains that people really start to worry: what if you know what, what if AI were to start replicating itself and take over the world? That said, it's something that is not that difficult to prevent. If you really know what you're doing, you really study AI uh, carefully and know how it works, there are very many ways to prevent um, it from being able to replicate itself. I mean, you, when you're creating these AI programs, you do have control. It's not like you're, it's not like a, a, living, a truly living organism. I mean, you are actually developing it. You're, you're, you're getting at the characteristics and the control mechanisms at the, at the beginning. So as long as people are not extremely negligent in that process, we, we shouldn't have to worry about that happening by accident. Um, but I think it's much, but it is very well possible that a bad actor or someone who is, um, uh, it's essentially well-funded and negligent that they could uh, potentially lead us down that path. That said, as long as the good actors have the same technology, we can combat that with AI as well. So in other words, if we have a, a Luke Skywalker to their Darth Vader, we should be okay. <laughs> that's what you're saying. Humanity will not be destroyed. We hope so. Uh, that's that's We're going to be all protected. It sounds like we will be. Appreciate your perspective on this. Paul Powers, the CEO of a FISNA, P-H-Y-S-N-A, and a technology and AI expert. Very enlightening. Paul, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. We'll be back with uh, Lloyd Jackson and Tom Jordan in for Guy Gordon. His first thing on WJR with Mike Parsons. All right. So we're two weeks in, so Guy must be exhausted. He's off this week. Lloyd's Lloyd, Lloyd's a trooper. He's here uh, with us. Yes, I am. And uh, we're welcoming in... Uh, Tom must have drawn the short straw. We got Tom Jordan. I'll tell you uh, exactly what happened. Okay. What happened? So uh, I was approached by by our fearless uh, leader, our new program director, Ann Thomas. 
And she she told me, uh, "Hey, Tom, guy's going to be taken off from his new show. He got. I'm a good for him. <laughs> so we got to find a uh, maybe one of his, uh, his underlings to fill in for wow. him, right?" <laughs> and she said, "Absolutely, we do." I said, "Well, who are we going to get?" And she's staring right at me. I said, "Oh, I get it." Uh, I'm the underling. <laughs> he named every other person yeah, right. at the station before he had said, why don't you just do it? She said, Tom, you're the underling. So, no, I'm I'm glad to be here. Usually, they I, I thought it was Flair, like, Tom, you're our best guy. You're oh, the right. only one that yeah. can fill in for yeah. guy. <laughs> yeah, that's what they say. But listen, right. that drive in, oh, you know, it was that's beautiful. a plus. Was, so it? I normally, it takes me about an hour and a half. Sometimes two hours to get to work. Because wow. traffic in construction in the summer is horrendous. It is. Where do you live, and in Grand Rapids? I, I, I live in uh, uh, Bend, Oregon. No. <laughs> you charter take, a flight every day. I shoppers. No, I live in Livingston County, uh, just uh, outside of Brighton, that area. So, but today I'm going to just zoom, zoom on in. I got to tell you, though, I'm still full from dinner last night, getting up this early. You know, I didn't want to have breakfast. Uh, this schedule has put me on the uh, Denny's early bird special <laughs> schedule. I, you know, what? if I'm not if I'm not done eating by four p.m., I'm going to have GERD, and I'm going to be oh, no God. good in the morning. Yeah. I want GERD. Yeah, I don't want to be around you if you have GERD. So you get two moons of my 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 hammy. Is that what they call it? Moons right over my hammy. Moons over my yeah. hammy. Yeah. That or the Grand Slam. It depends on oh, if I'm feeling good, saucy that day or good not. Good stuff. Good stuff. Great. Um, I don't know if uh, you guys tried uh, getting on Twitter this weekend. Twitter's not my main social media um, platform, but uh, I guess uh, Elon Musk on Saturday, he tweeted out that he was putting temporary limits on the number of tweets that Twitter users were able to read. Uh, he blames extreme levels of, of data scrapping, which is data mining and system yeah. manipulation. Yeah. Uh, and, and he cha- he, he kind of does this. He, he's kind of manic. He'll put something it, out and then he'll kind of change it. Yeah. Yeah. I see that all the time. <laughs> On Saturday, he tweeted out that uh, verified accounts are li- limited to reading 6,000 posts a day, unverified 600, and new and uh, unverified accounts 300 uh, posts per day. Two hours later, he changed changed it to uh, verified accounts will see 8,000 views a day, unverified 800, 400 for new. And then less than an hour later, yep. he sent out another tweet increasing the limit to 10,000 posts a day for verified, 1,000 for unverified, and 500 for new verified. Um, it, th- this data mining and system manipulation it kind of makes it sound like he's doing it for security reasons, but I'm wondering um, if this is just a grift to sell more verified accounts. I'm also wondering, how lost are we as a society if we're complaining that we can only read 6,000? Bump it up to 8,000. Bump <laughs> it up to 10,000. <laughs> I need more. I need more. I mean, what are we doing with a lot? I, I know a lot of people are upset about this, and I get why you are, because Elon Musk is the guy that said, I'm not going to limit speech. That's and right. Like, and that's okay, but how telling is this that there are people who are at five thousand nine hundred and ninety nine of their in one day, and they're thinking this is this is just not enough. I need more of this. Well, and then what happens? Do you get like some kind of like Donkey Kong kill screen or what? <laughs> yeah, what comes up? You get locked a big, out. A big X like on Family Feud. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Lord, so when you when you went over six thousand, what happened to you? What uh, what, 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 what I did didn't you go see? Over, yeah. Believe me, I didn't go over six thousand. <laughs> won't be going over six thousand. And by the way, if you're not signed in. You can't even read Twitter anymore. Like you used to be able to at least like go yeah. to a tweet or something. Now, now it just says sign in. So. Okay, but it's free. 
Yeah. It's a free account. So you haven't checked this morning. He hasn't changed it again, has he? Well, I, I, I'm I, not signed in on the studio computer, so I tried to uh, just look at the WJR yeah. Twitter at WJR Radio, and I wasn't signed in, and I wasn't able to look. So so at least that at least that restriction is still in place. Here's okay. the difference on when you see the coverage on this. So if you're watching like MSN, even Fox News, they're, they're coming out saying some pretty bad things about Elon Musk for doing this. But they're also saying, okay, come on, guys, that's a lot of tweets. But um, if if you're if you're like an MSNBC, I don't think they're bringing up the fact of how dangerous or how how what data scraping is. Right, and it's it's a serious issue. So typically, the reason why he's limiting it to six thousand now ten thousand is because you got all these bots going around That's right. stealing all. Yeah. So most human beings don't, I don't think, read ten thousand tweets a day. Right, they don't read that many posts. Who does? Artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a legitimate thing he's doing, trying to protect. Because I was wondering if you're reading ten thousand posts a it's, day, like, right. like, really, what are you doing? Get a Reddit account or something. <laughs> yes, right. Reddit. I was going to say sign up for TikTok, but well, uh, Reddit also has data scraping issues too. I, I, I kind of, I, I kind of assume uh, every website I'm on has data scraping. Yeah. You know, if I were to say I want a Big Mac right now, as soon as I open yes. my cell phone, I'll see a whole bunch mm-hmm. of Facebook posts. Yes. Uh, we do have an update, too, on, I, I believe I called it uh, one of the stupidest news stories I've read since I started reading. <laughs> this uh, this Elon Musk versus Mark Zuckerberg oh cage, God. this is getting out of control. <laughs> I can't wait, actually. So the Coliseum, is that where we're going to have this? <laughs> yes. The And it was the Italy's Minister of Culture. And not the Coliseum at Las Vegas, right? No. No, not that one. Not Not, not the L.A. Coliseum either. No. Not that one. No. Not where the Philadelphia Flyers played in the 70s. The (laughs) Roman Coliseum. Italy's Minister of Culture reached out to Mark Zuckerberg offering the Roman Coliseum Mm. as a venue. This this feels like an insult to the Roman Coliseum. Does this mean they're going to fight to the death? If it's there... They got the venue. Hey. You look at historically speaking, this winner, is where winner uh, fights a lion, and right? If the, and, and if a piece of it falls on him, hey, <laughs> a piece of the coliseum. That's why you tune in. <laughs> All right. So who's going to win it? Do you think? I know that uh, jujitsu is Mark Zuckerberg's game. Yeah, I believe. I, I believe the the betting websites do have Zuckerberg as their favorite. That's what I would. That's who I would bet on. I'm, He's I'm younger. Sorry. He's yeah. Yeah. more more fit. Yeah. Even though uh, you have. UFC champion, a legend, uh, Georgia St. Pierre, has yes. offered to train Elon Musk. As is Andrew Tate. Oh, for yeah, Andrew <laughs> Tate's come out, the kickboxer. Yeah. I'll train you. You will not lose, is can, what he said. Can it just be everyone against Andrew Tate? Is that guy supposed to be in jail overseas <laughs> or something? In Romania. He's got some issues over there. Yeah, I wouldn't count on him to. Uh... <laughs> D- Dana White has offered to organize it. He said it could of be the, he does. the biggest match in the history of the world. But will it be a good match? Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. of course it will be. I mean. And because everyone's got a feeling about one of these guys. Right. It's like Donald Trump. You know Elon Musk. You know Mark Zuckerberg. You might you might love these guys. You might hate them. Yep. So you're going to pick sides. Well, and like I said, if there is a way for both of them to lose, I would like to see that <laughs> outcome. JR Morning with Tom Jordan in for Guy Gordon after the news.